Hey, uh, you might have to use your memory a little bit, but how many of you recognize the young man in this picture here? Anybody recall? A couple of people maybe around the room. If not, it's been a decade now uh, since Jason McElwain, or J-Mac as his friends call him, really took the sports world by storm. And in case you don't remember his story, uh, J-Mac was the team manager for a varsity boys basketball team in upstate New York. Uh, For four years, he sat at the end of the bench uh, wearing a white shirt and a black tie, and his job was to hand out towels uh, and to hand out water bottles to the other players. Uh, J-Mac had been diagnosed with autism when he was just a toddler, but he never let that stop him from living life uh, to the full. Well, as the story goes, it was the last game of his senior season, a home game, and the coach decided that he wanted to give J-Mac a shot at getting in the game, giving him a chance to play. And knowing this was a possibility, J-Mac's classmates packed the student section of their gymnasium, and uh, they held up signs holding J-Mac's face and just cheered all along the way, hoping that he would get a shot to get in the game. Well, wouldn't you know it, with this team up by double-digit points and just four minutes to play, the coach finally gave him the opportunity that he and others were hoping for. The student section went crazy. It was Less than a minute into the game, uh, J-Mac got in, and he took that first shot, and it was an air ball. But uh, then with a little more than three minutes left, uh, something spectacular happened. Check out this short piece from that game. 12 left, another chance. That third trip down the court, magic. As soon as I started hitting my first shot, I just kept shooting, and I was just hot as a pistol. Shot after shot after shot kept going in. It's really a spectacular story, and if you've never seen it before, I'd encourage you, you can find it on YouTube, and there's a five-minute edition uh, that ESPN used. But in that short four-minute time, J-Mac hit six three-pointers, all right, in four minutes, scored 20 points in all to lead all scores. It really is an incredible story about a high school kid who went from handing out towels and water bottles to winning the ESPY award that year for the best moment in sports. Now, I don't know about you, but who doesn't love stories like that one? And man, that one in particular, it gets me every time. My, my, my eyes always well up with tears every time I watch it. But man, you know, like the story, the stories of the underdog, you know, overcoming odds to accomplish something amazing. And uh, that's what we're after these next few weeks here at Genesis in this new series titled Courageous Faith. We're going to look at uh, three different stories from the Old Testament that in a lot of ways are like J. Mack's story. They're their story of unthinkable odds. They're the story of a uh, seemingly undefeatable enemy and an underdog who rises up to accomplish really something what seems impossible. And what I hope that you're going to see in these stories is a God who is working by, behind the scenes, uh, and he is a God that is always working things together for the good of those who love him for his glory in this world. And it's the same God working then, uh, the same God that we're going to see in the Old Testament, same God for us today, all right, same God that we've been worshiping here this morning. It's the same God that we'll see protecting and providing and leading his people to victory that we can worship. Uh, He's the same God that you can turn to just as we're going to see today. And I I, I don't know about you, but I just think that's great news for us uh, as followers of Jesus. Because the reality is that the battles never really quite come to an end, do they? And even when one fades away, it always seems like another battle emerges. I mean, some of you come in here today and you're in the middle of a battle right now. 
Uh, and for some today, maybe it's a battle for your marriage. Uh, for others of you, maybe it's a battle just with your kids and in their lives right now, maybe some of the choices that they're making. Maybe, maybe the battle for you has everything to do with your home or, or with your parents right now. Maybe, maybe you're in a tough place, some of you today, uh, in, a, in a tough place with, with friends from school or uh, a tough place with some uh, of your associates at work. Maybe, maybe a tough place financially. Uh, maybe a challenging place in life with your, with your health. And man, if you add to that the, the, the challenges that are before our country right now, uh, really trying to find your way through as a follower of Jesus, so that's quite a task, isn't it? With everything that we have going on right now, and it's one thing to try and respond really to, well, what I see is a growing anti-Christian sentiment. And well, then add to that some of the challenges that are before our country and all the people that are drawing lines and taking sides. Man, we are living in some really interesting times. And the reality is that we need courageous friends. Uh, you need courageous people in your life, people that will look at you and speak, speak love and truth into your life no matter what uh, you're facing. We, we need courageous students right now, uh, courageous students who will do the right thing even when no one else is willing. We need courageous parents that are willing to make the tough calls and raise their kids to love and to serve the Lord and model this for their kids. We need courageous teachers uh, and coaches in our schools. We need courageous business leaders and, and community leaders. And in case you don't find yourself on that very short list, I'll assure you that we need you. All right, This is for every single one of us. And what I'm praying is that as we move through these stories of courageous faith, that, well, that God might open your eyes to see some of the opportunities that you have around you right now opportunities to speak boldly, opportunities to love sacrificially, and to live courageously for the glory of God in this world, no matter what it takes or requires. Hey, if you've got your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 1. If you use an iPad or a Bible app on your phone or something, feel free to turn there with us. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, page 613, and we'll have the verses on the screen too. But I'm going to be teaching on Daniel today, Daniel chapter 1, and then go and teach this same message in Noblesville next week. Uh, ben Krauss is teaching on Gideon this morning in Noblesville. He'll be teaching here on Gideon next week. So if you switch once in a while and don't want to hear the same thing twice, you better stay put uh, for a couple of weeks in a row. But this morning, again, I want to spend some time looking at the life of a teenager, all right, uh, for, for who the book is named. And right away, when I think about Daniel, I think of a young man whose parents must have done an exceptional job uh, in raising him. And we're only going to look at one chapter of his story, but if, if I were you, uh, my challenge would be to you to take some time this week and read through at least the next uh, five or six chapters for uh, yourself, because you're going to discover a young man who stood strong in his faith. And, uh, and from the beginning of his story that we know until the very end, his faith was in the Lord. And because of it, uh, God was able to be a helper for him and provided for him things like strength and courage and wisdom every day of his life. And if you're taking notes today, let's write this down right away, right from the top. We want to say this. We want, we want to uh, understand that Daniel is an example of courageous faith. Uh, he is an example of courageous faith. There's no doubting at all who he belonged to. Uh, no doubting who he lived for in this world. And I want to just stop right there and ask you if you would think on this with me. I mean, what about, what about you? Uh, could the same be said of you? I mean, who, who are you living for today in this world? For Daniel, it was a matter of identity. Uh, he found his identity in God. He lived for God. He put his faith in God. Would the same be true of you? Would, 
Would others say the same about you and your life right now? Are you, are you living for God above anything else and anyone else in this world? The Apostle Paul talks about it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We, we looked at this verse these past few weeks. Steve taught on this. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, for Christ's love compels us. All right, that's, that's what's behind everything that we do. That's the, our motivation uh, as followers of Christ. Christ's love compels us but we, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And then verse 15, he says, and he died for all. So now here's what we're supposed to do. Here's how we're supposed to exist as a church, as followers of Jesus. He says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul's going to go on to talk about how we are ambassadors for Jesus in this world, right? Well, Daniel lived more than 600 years before Jesus was born, but, but, but that's what he's doing with his life. He's living as an ambassador for God in this world, and you and I were called to do the very same. And so that's what we want to see in Daniel today. I want to pick it up with Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and read through uh, these verses with you today. It's a history book, and here's what we get from the beginning. Daniel 1, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, just a quick history lesson here. In 597 BC, the powerful, powerful Babylonian empire, under the leadership of the ruthless king Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Judah. All right, this is Daniel's home. These are uh, what we know as God's people. They invaded Judah and they absolutely crushed it. All right, they, they, they tore it down. They devastated it. Verse 2 says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, or Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now, I want you to notice right away, and this is a very important detail in verse 2 of this book, but notice right away who delivered Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. God did. I mean, the text says that the Lord allowed this to happen. And I think that's just a good reminder to us and for us that even when times seem uncertain in our country... Even when times seem uncertain in our world, even when you feel like your life is falling apart all around you, that our God is always in control. And one great theme in the book of Daniel is this. It is that God is a sovereign God. All right, He is a God that is always in control, no matter what's going on, no matter what we face. And that's the case here with Daniel and for these people. Verse 2 again, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Look next, these he carried off to the temple of God, of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, this is only the beginning of the mockery and the shame that Nebuchadnezzar is wanting to inflict on these people. Verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, kind of reminds you of our new worship pastor, Michael Amatuzo, right? I mean, just the same sort of qualities uh, about him. These men were well-informed, uh, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And so notice that not only did the Babylonians crush Judah, but they took a number of people in captivity and returned these men and women uh, with them back to Babylon. Now, Daniel was one of those exiles, 
All right, he is one of those that has now been taken from his home in Judah back to Babylon. Historians believe that he was around the age of 16 years old uh, at the time. And again, of all those who were taken into exile, Daniel, along with some others, were selected for special service in the king's palace. And so they were recognized for having great potential. And so they were brought to the palace and they were given special treatment. And so the king ordered his official to teach them, to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5, it says, the king assigned these men a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Notice the details here. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter uh, the king's service. So three years of training in Babylon, uh, three years of training really, and if you know any history of Babylon, training in things like astrology. And because this was a very pagan place with many gods, really a training in the occult. Right? And so that was their curriculum. Uh, this was the curriculum they were assigned to in Babylon. Verse 6, again, some details. Among those who were chosen for this education and treatment from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now notice what happens next. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. See, here's what's happening. The goal was to brainwash these men. Uh, the goal was to reprogram them. And I want you to notice and recognize that the name change is significant too. Because here's the thing. The name Daniel means God is my judge. Uh, it was a very honorable name that his parents chose. This is what they desired for Daniel. This is what they wanted to see happen in his life, that he would be very faithful to the Lord and for all things. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he gives Daniel a new name. It's intentional. The name Belshazzar means Prince of Bel. Bel was one of their many pagan gods. It was Nebuchadnezzar's way of mocking Daniel. It was Nebuchadnezzar's way of mocking the name that his parents chose, the name really of, or a way of mocking Daniel's God. And so Nebuchadnezzar basically gave him a name that meant son of Satan. That's who you are the exact opposite of what your parents named you. Now, think with me for a second. Try and put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Can you imagine being uprooted from all you've ever known in Judah? Add to that losing your family, your culture, your spiritual roots, and you're now dropped some 700 miles away from home, really in Vegas, all right? All right, that's what we're talking about. And no offense here to any Vegas lovers in the room, but I think we all know what we're getting at here because th this is Babylon, like, this is what Babylon is known for. That's the best modern-day comparison. Here's the thing. Babylon is the personification of evil and sin at the very worst in the world. And you can see it for yourself. I mean, even after Babylon is destroyed, it will continue all through Scripture really to serve as a symbol of sin at its worst and sin in this world. In fact, if you go all the way to Revelation chapter 18, it describes the very end of time when Jesus Christ will one day return and Babylon is defeated once and for all. But for Daniel, it's his new reality. It's his new daily reality. He's 16 away from home. He's an orphan. He's a foreigner forced to live in Babylon. And this is where the story gets really interesting. This is where Daniel is going to show us who he is to the core. Because even at 16, Daniel's going to draw a very clear line in the sand 
and show us who he belongs to. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And if you like to underline in your Bible or if you highlight on your tablet or something, there's a great phrase to note here, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Here's what it means for Daniel to resolve not to defile himself. He made a conscious choice that he wasn't going to participate. He made a conscious choice that he wasn't going to pollute or stain his reputation. And it couldn't have been easy. I mean, again, he's a long ways from home. And the Babylonians are going to do everything they can to break him. Now, in case you're already wondering, what's the big deal with food? All right, what's the big deal with wine here? Well, here's the thing. According to Jewish law, and again, Daniel was a Jew, Daniel was forbidden from eating food and meat that had been sacrificed to false gods. And that's the case here with the king's table. That's what's being offered to Daniel and to these men. And Daniel recognized that that food was defiled. And he understood, all right, that he couldn't control his environment. He understood that he couldn't control what the people around him were were doing. But he knew and realized that there were things that he was ultimately responsible for. And in this particular case, choosing to eat or not eat the food was one of them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here for a second. If it's me and I'm in this situation, what's it going to hurt, all right? I mean, if you think about it, I've lost my home, my parents are gone, I'm in a new place, and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Of all the questions about life, is really the issue of food the biggest problem that I'm up against right now? And if you think about it, God's a forgiving God, right? I mean, he'd forgive Daniel, you know, if Daniel made a choice like this. I like how the Living Bible describes what Daniel did. It just says that Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food. He made a choice. And, and here's the thing. You want to you know what the truth is for us, that so many of the spiritual battles that we face each and every day, some of the spiritual battles that you and I will go up against even as we walk out of here in just a little bit, those spiritual battles begin in our minds. They start in our minds, and they start out of these small, insignificant battles uh, and a voice that says things like, what's the big deal, right? Like, what, what's the big deal, or, or, or who's going to find out? Or, you know what, you deserve making a move like this for yourself with everything you've gone through. And, and as we give in to temptations like these, well, it just becomes a slippery slope, and it just becomes easier to stretch the truth. It becomes so easy to, you know overlook the potential consequences of our actions. And well, wouldn't you know it? I mean, I mean, how often before you know it will you trick yourself or maybe even mislead your spouse and say something like, it was just a working lunch? Or to go as far as saying, you know what, uh, maybe to practice selective memory when it comes to filling out your expense report or even filling out your taxes and you make some adjustments to make sure you come out on top. Everyone does it, right? Or, or you'll give yourself permission. We'll give ourselves permission and say, you know what? Everyone goes off to college. We all have a season like this where we got to have some fun. And I'll graduate and we'll get my act together. Here's my challenge for you today, for me and for each of us, that even when no one's looking, all right, even when you're far from home, even when you're spending the night with a friend, away at school or away for your work, I want to challenge you today to choose to be a man of God. Uh, Ladies, to choose to be a woman of God, to choose to be a a student determined to live for God in anything and everything, and not just in some things, but in all things. Because here's the thing, Daniel's story, it's just like ours. 
It's just like your story and mine. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Babylon was this dark, self-centered culture full of all of these false gods. I mean, Babylon represented the center of evil and pride and arrogance and sexual immorality. And just be real with me for just a moment. America's no different. Like, we're no different than Babylon. I mean, we live in such a prideful, arrogant culture today, so narcissistic. We've got our own list, our great list of false gods that we bow down to even when we don't realize it. I mean, America is very much like Babylon. But again, here's what makes uh, my story and your story so similar to Daniel's. Like Daniel, we're not here on accident. We're not here on this earth and in America by accident. I mean, God had Daniel in Babylon and in the palace for a reason. And again, if you go on to read the rest of his story uh, today or this week, you're going to see for yourself how God's going to use Daniel to influence this entire empire. Write this down in your notes. You're not here by accident. You and I, we're not here by accident. Genesis Church, God has us here for a reason. We are exiles too, and he has you and me and our church in this world so that we might shine for him. We are ambassadors for an even greater king here on this earth, and until Jesus comes back, we know that our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And so we're here to share the love. Uh, We're here to share the hope of Christ with others. And that just means that as a follower of Jesus today, uh, you have everything that you need. You can walk into any neighborhood like Daniel. You can walk into any school hallway. Uh, You can step foot on any college campus or into any office, and you can shine for Jesus in this world. Uh, You can make a commitment to live for him in any and everything. See, God wants to use his people Uh, He wants to use people like you and me to bring great change and hope into this world. And what kind of people does he use? It's people of faith. It's people like Daniel who know their identity as a child of God. And it's people like Daniel who are making every effort they can to live a life of obedience to the Lord and this world. Again, this is what's happening for Daniel. He's choosing faith. He's choosing obedience. He resolved not to defile himself, and I want to show you something else he did. It says, he re, at verse 8, he resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, again, because Nebuchadnezzar had really high hopes for Daniel and these men, uh, he, he, there was a plan, again, to make sure that they were eventually able to contribute to the empire, all right, and at the same time, not only this expectation, but he wanted to make sure they were cared for. And, and so, again, not only would they receive the best education, but a well-balanced diet too. Again, this, is, this posed a problem for Daniel. Remember, he's not permitted to eat a particular food. And so there's a dilemma, all right, not only for Daniel, but for this royal official that he reports to, because the royal official has the responsibility of making sure these men eat. Look at verse 9. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord and King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have my head because of you. And so this royal official knows that if Nebuchadnezzar gets word that Daniel's not eating, all right, he's going to lose his head. But there's also a really good chance that Daniel would too. And so here's what I want you to see. First of all, I want you to notice the favor Daniel had gained with this man. And where did that favor come from? It came from the Lord. All right, it's the Lord that's working. 
And then look at verse 11. It says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, notice the way that Daniel handles himself before these officials. I want you to see the respect, the self-control, and you see the manner in which he responds to the royal official and he gains influence through it. Here's the thing. God gave Daniel favor with the people. God gave him the favor. And he had every right to throw a fit. Again, this has been a really bad week for Daniel, all right? He's lost everything he's ever known. He's in a foreign place. They're mocking his God. They've changed his name. And what's Daniel's response to this new and very difficult situation? Respect, kindness, not a chip on his shoulder. He's not spouting off on Facebook about how Babylon is going to hell. Listen, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you give in. I'm not suggesting that you compromise or that you violate any of the laws and commands that God has put before us as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. I'm not saying that there isn't a time to be vocal or a time to take a hard stand about what you believe is right and wrong or what we believe as followers of Christ. But I will say this, let's pay close attention to how we act and close attention to how we react to others, especially to the audience of people around us right now who don't know the Lord. And as we live and exist in this difficult world today, see, I believe there is a way. There is a way to live a life fully committed to the Lord and at the same time show love and kindness and respect to the people that are living around us. And I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy. And I'm not saying that we're always going to get this right, but I know that Daniel found a way through. And more than Daniel, we know that Jesus found a way through. And Jesus found a way to do it and All throughout Jesus' life, we just see example after example where Jesus humbled himself, and we see where Jesus chose to take on the nature of a servant, and well, he was totally dependent on on God, he was totally dependent on the word of God for all things, and he had no sin in his life. And he lived in the same challenging world that you and I, that we find ourselves in today, and he managed to stay faithful, and he managed to love the Lord his God with all of his heart and soul, and to love people at the very same time. And we see some of that in Daniel. And we do well to strive for the very same things as we're living our lives too, to be people of courageous faith, living obedient lives, loving God with all of our heart and loving people, the people around us, even the people that we don't agree with at the very same time. And God gave Daniel favor with the people. And I believe that as we make an effort to live like Daniel, And more importantly, like Jesus Christ in this world, I believe that God will give us favor with others too, even people that don't agree with us. And as he gives us that favor, he's gonna give us even greater opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ and with others. Verse 12, there's a plan coming together here. Uh, Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Verse 14, so he agreed to this, the official did, and tested them for 10 days. Daniel knew that if he was gonna be useful to the king, he had to stay healthy. And again, it's the official's job to make sure that Daniel and these men stay healthy. How does Daniel know he's gonna stay healthy without eating this required food? 
Daniel put his faith in God. Uh, he chose to trust God. And through it, God's going to give Daniel the wisdom. He gave Daniel the wisdom to offer a plan that might work. And it was a plan that offered Daniel and his friends an opportunity to live out their faith and to maintain their convictions. You and I are going to find ourselves in some defining moments in this life and in this world. You, you already have. Maybe some of you are there right now. And with each, the question that will emerge is this question of, will I trust God? Will I choose God and trust God? Can I put my faith in the Lord even when it's difficult? Can, can I trust him uh, to give me the patience right now to deal with some difficult family members? Uh, questions like, can I, can I trust him to give me the patience to put up with some of the ridicule that I might face for my friends? Questions like, can I, can I trust God to protect my job even when it means turning to my boss and telling her I can't do what she's asking? Or, or even to say, you know, can I trust God to take care of my financial needs? or my physical needs as I seek to honor him and to wait on him. See, for Daniel, he had more on the line than a reputation, satisfaction, or comfort. His life was on the line. But with this move, he made a statement that he was turning his entire life over to the Lord. And that's faith. And that's knowing who you live for. And so again, Daniel had two choices, faith or fear. Every day and every moment, we come up against those same choices. Will I choose faith or fear? Will I choose things like compromise? I mean, again, they had every right to cut off his head. But this is God's story, and he's up to something spectacular with Daniel and with his circumstances. Let's finish it out here in verse 15. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Big win for the vegetarians in the room right now, right? Is that what we see here? Verse 16, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge. Who gave it? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. All right, it was the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, who gave them wisdom, all right, who gave them understanding. Not great teachers, not a great curriculum. But God prepared them and equipped them for what was coming next. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And verse 21 says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, Daniel graduated first in his class, all right? Valedictorian, summa cum laude. And he handled himself in such a way that others took notice. And he maintained his faith in the Lord. And now God is going to use Daniel to accomplish even greater things in Babylon. See, there's one little detail in verse 21 that, well, it's easy to overlook. It's just a little note there that says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And we know from history, if you study history, that this amounts to about 70 years of time. 70 years of living in a place that he never wanted to be. And so for the next 70 years, he's going to lead. He's going to influence in Babylon. For the next 70 years, he's going to point people to God. Three great revivals will take place during Daniel's 70 years in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to turn his heart to the Lord. 
uh, a future King Darius will do the same. And 70 years later, Daniel will witness the return of his people back to their home in Judah. He had the privilege of seeing both its destruction and the beginning of its restoration. And I just think it's fascinating to see and to acknowledge a God that always sees us through. From the beginning of our pain until the very end of it all, he always sees us through. And here's something else that's interesting to me. God's gonna give Daniel a prominent place of leadership in Babylon with great influence over the advisors and, well, what were referred to as the magicians in Babylon. And, well, he's gonna spend a lot of time with these men talking about God, talking about some of the promises about the coming Messiah. And there's one little theory out there, and it's just a theory, but I love it. You know the word magi? For the wise men, we refer to them as the three wise. And that word magi comes from the word magician. And there are many, there are some that believe that, well, where did the magi come from? They came from the east. They likely came from Babylon. And well, even though it was 600 years later, were they responding to year after year of teaching and tradition of this man named Daniel who kept talking about a Messiah who would one day come and one day the star appears in the sky and they drop everything to go searching for this king. It's just a theory, but it's an interesting one. And 70 years in Babylon for Daniel, and sure there are going to be challenges along the way. He's going to spend time in the lion's den. There'll be other difficulties as well. But through it all, Daniel chose faith and obedience, and in the return, the Lord helped him with things like strength and courage. Can I just ask you before we close this morning, where do you need the help of God right now in your life? Where do you need him the most? Where do you need the, the faith to trust him, the faith to believe like Daniel did and to believe that he is a God that will see us through? Maybe it's in a relationship for you. It could be work or school for some of you today. Maybe it's a health issue, a financial challenge you're up against. I want you to know this morning that you can always find help in God. He is always there to help us. And before I pray, you know, we don't know for sure who wrote Psalm 118, but you can tell that it's someone who had experienced some ups and downs in life, someone who had witnessed the help of God even through their difficult times. And I love just these two verses in Psalm 118 where the writer says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He says, the Lord is with me. He is my helper and I will look in triumph on my enemies. Why? Because of the Lord. And when we put our faith in the Lord, he provides and offers his help to us in return. Let's pray together, if you would, if you bow your heads with me. And before I pray, I want to just ask you again, where do you need the help of God right now in your life? Where do you need faith to trust him, faith to believe like Daniel, faith to believe like Jesus? to believe in the God who promises to see us through. He is the Lord that is with us and he will be your helper. Will you call out to him today and ask him to help you right now, to give you strength, to give you courage, to give you faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for accounts like these, the story of Daniel and for his faithfulness and for the reminder that you are a sovereign God and that you never lose control. There is nothing that surprises you. We thank you, Lord, that when we turn to you in faith and for help, 
that you always provide, that you always deliver. Father, will you send your help to us today? Would you give us the faith to believe, the faith to trust in you for all these things? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, one note before we sing, in Psalm 118, that psalm we looked at, um, though it is one of six psalms that are collectively known as the Hallel Psalms. Uh, the word Hallel comes from the word Hallelujah, which just means the praise. Uh, to praise the Lord. Well, these were psalms, these six psalms that were read uh, before and after the Passover meal. And that means that this one, Psalm 118, would have been one of the psalms that Jesus read, one of the psalms that Jesus and his disciples sang after the Passover, after the Last Supper, and before Jesus went to the cross. And I just think how appropriate for us today, uh, after celebrating the Lord's Supper, that we too can respond this morning with a song of praise and acknowledge that we need the Lord's help and that by asking for the Lord's help, we know and we trust that he will provide for us. Let's stand together and as we sing and as we make this song, our song of response this morning.